Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. You know, if you hang around playing bluegrass long enough, eventually you are going to get involved in some kind of a band and you're going to be asked to perform. And over the course of many years, this may expand into you're a regular working member of a local part-time bluegrass band. That is a very common progression. Now, you might be a beginner and you might be sitting there thinking, I'm never going to do that. But hang with me in this episode. It may be interesting to you anyway, even if you're learning your first chords on the guitar or still working on the thumb pinch on the banjo. There's going to come a day, and I really hope that this happens for you, that you're in a band, that you've got a name, and you may only play a few times a year, and that's okay, but you're going to eventually do this, and what I'm going to talk about today is really directed for people who are in bands and that are playing pretty much locally. This could be on the road, too, but... What I'm talking about are bands who are performing and running their own sound. They're totally self-contained. This, what I'm talking about here today does not really apply to uh, festivals where you're playing over someone else's PA system or if you're working venues where they have sound and lights and all that kind of stuff. This is for that self-contained bluegrass band. And quite frankly... Everything I'm going to say in this episode could apply to any kind of band. I don't care what kind of music you play. If you're playing in public and carting around a PA, it doesn't matter if you're playing death metal, Norwegian death metal. These 10 things I'm going to talk about today could be useful to you. So if you've got a friend of yours that does not play bluegrass, he's got a blues band or something, you might send him this episode. So what I'm going to talk about are 10 gadgets or 10 little bits of equipment that I have found to be extremely useful over the years playing those kind of gigs where you show up, you set up your own PA and you perform and you tear it down at the end of the night and haul it all home. You're a totally self-contained show. So this is a list of 10 items that I have found just to save so much trouble and just be beneficial overall. So here's the first gadget. It's called a cable reel. Like your mic cables, your speaker cables, your monitor cables, your power cables. Maybe not your power. Uh, usually I would separate out the power stuff from the audio stuff. I've seen an awful lot of bands, you know, rolling up the wires, putting them in a box bag, um, you know, rolling suitcase, backpacks. And it's a, it's usually a confusing rat nest. It, it can be, unless you're very careful about how you do your chords. And, and I'm going to talk about our setup, and it was a similar setup in both bands, Cedar Hill and Pony Express. Very similar in terms of the gear we carried when we did these kind of self-contained 
performances. And one of the things, without question, you're going to carry are microphone cables. And you're going to carry spares because, you know, if one goes out, you better have a, better have another one in reserve. So if I needed eight, you know, I would carry 12. Eventually you end up with double the number because there are always some that are questionable and get marked and set aside for checking and possibly repairing or throwing away or you know, soldering on new ends, you had these multiple piles. You had your working group and then you had your spares, which were tested and known to be good. And then you had your duds, which needed to be looked at. So you always need more wires than you think you do. But the reason a lot of wires get become faulty is because of the handling they get before and after the gig, especially after the gig. If you're very careful with your wires, if you're careful about how you plug them in and how you unplug them, and you're careful about how you roll them and handle them, you will have very few problems with those cables. But, you know, real life means that, you know, sometimes a member of the audience comes up and starts helping you or one of your members who doesn't really pay much attention to the PA, he starts helping and you're seeing wires getting abused and that's how they, they fail abuse. So if you treat them very carefully, I, I have used inexpensive wires, things that you would think, ah, oh, that, that cheap wire, that can't be any good. And, but, but they would be perfectly good. They just wouldn't stand up to hard abuse. So one of the best devices I ever came across, and it also was a huge time saver, especially when you're set. I mean, when you're setting up and tearing down, you could do it a lot faster if you had a gizmo called a cable reel and a cable reel. Here's the idea. Just picture, let's say you're using 10 microphone cables two monitor cables, speaker cables, and two main speaker audio cables. Let's say that's your what you use. When you use a cable reel, what you do is you connect all of these things together. You you have all of your microphones, if you all of your microphone cables, if you extended them out, if if you got a 20-foot cable and you have 10 of them, you put them all in line and plug one into the next male into female. Now you got 40 feet and you just keep extending this. You've got one long straight line of cables. Now you never have that in actual practice, but that's how they go on to the reel. So the way we always did our reel is the first thing that went on to the reel were the big fat speaker cables. So you took your big fat speaker cable and you wrapped it around the reel. And let me describe the reel. It was about 18 inches high and had a, had like a spool, like a, about a 12 inch diameter plate on each end with a, with a rod through the middle and a crank on it. And it was held in this little, this little carriage that had a handle on top. 
So it was just a, a reel, very much like a hose reel, like you would use to reel up a garden hose. In fact, you might be able to find a garden hose reel that would serve as a pretty good cable reel. So here's the way it would go down. You would put the main speaker cable on because it's big and fat and it builds up some thickness. So you, you just wrap that around and loop it around itself and start winding it on. You're just like winding up a reel of rope or hose or whatever. You just very carefully just rolling up the cable. Well, now you get to the, you got the one on there and you put the next one on. Well, you can connect those two together. We used to use banana plugs on the end of the speakers, so it was very easy to connect one banana plug into another because the back side of them will accept the front side of Anyway, it was pretty easy just to snap those two together. If you have a different type of speaker cable ends, really all you had to do is as you approach the end of the one cable is to overlap them about a foot and just give one wrap around and then start reeling it on. Just that one little winding around itself and then as it went onto the reel it would just start pulling it in and laying it down so you you get your speaker cables on then you get your monitor cables which are usually a little bit lighter and you just all you got to do is cross the two wires and just give them about 180 around each other and just reel them right on because that rubber the rubber insulation will sort of grab one cable sort of grab the other cable so you, you reel them on, and all you're doing is just, you're putting no stress on these wires. You're certainly putting no stress on the ends. You're putting no sharp bends in them. So now you got your speaker cables and your monitor cables on there. Now come the mic cables. Well, while you were rolling up the speaker cables and the monitor cables, another guy was unplugging all the mic wires and connecting them all together in one long, continuous mic cable. And you just simply need to end that. And you do the same little thing. You just kind of cross them over each other and flip the end of the mic around one time around, around that last speaker cable and just start winding it on. And there's this, this just mess of wires out there laying all over the stage where the guy's just been plugging one into the next, into the next, into the next, into the next. And you just start reeling them in. 20 feet goes by or 10 feet, depending on your length of cable. And here comes those two connectors connected together and you just wind them on. Just keep winding on. Just keep slowly turning. And once in a while you get a little tangle and you just straighten it out and you just keep winding it on. And pretty soon the cable reel is full. All the wires are gone and everything is in a state of pretty good preservation. You know, they haven't, I, I hate to see people like taking a cord and winding it around their elbow and their hand and then tying it in a knot and all this crazy stuff. That's what destroys those cables. Anyway, it's just a very convenient way. Then you just cart that to the trailer and put it in the trailer. And when you show up at the next gig, one guy's job is to get that cable reel and just start feeding them out. Just pull one cable out until you get to the connector, disconnect it, set that by mic stand one, keep pulling, get the next one out, unplug it, put it by stand two and so on. 
just doling them out while somebody else is connecting them and running them. It, it's just a great thing. And it's a one-handed thing you can carry. When, when you walk away from the stage, you've got all the cables all on this reel. It's, you know, it's kind of heavy. You could hand truck it if you got some serious weight there. But all your cables are there. Now, I'll tell you one little added thing. Our spares were on the reel, too. So we would have an extra speaker cable, an extra monitor cable, and about four extra mic cables. And the mic cables would be, it'd be speaker cable, monitor cable, and four mic cables rolled onto the reel at the start. Then everything I talked about would go on top of that. That way, when you're at the gig and everything's set up and you get a mic cable to fail, you can just go straight to the reel and the first thing to come off would be a fresh, known to be good microphone cable. Now, admit, it, admittedly, if you had to get to that speaker cable, that spare speaker cable and that spare monitor cable, you're going to have to reel off those four mic cables to get to it. And so you might want to keep those somewhere else, but we kept the spares on there too. And they sort of served as that base layer that lived on that reel at all times and they don't get damaged. They're just on that reel and it, it's just a wonderful thing. Find yourself a cable reel and learn get yourself a system that works and store your wires on that reel. You will thank me later. It is a wonderful system. Takes a little learning curve to figure out how to do it, but once you got it, it's a wonderful thing. Item number two. When you're dealing with power cables, one of the greatest things that I ever picked up, and I have two of them now, is a pretty heavy gauge power cable. I believe it's a, the, the one I primarily use is a 25-footer. And it's on a little reel. So you can pull it out, get 25 feet, and at the end of the night, you can unplug it and just roll it up. Just turn that crank and roll that 25 feet right back in there. And it has four outlets, four AC outlets on it and a circuit breaker built into it. That little thing is so handy because you can plug into your stage power source wherever you are. And then you have four outlets, which is generally sufficient to power your mixer and the, you know, the various gizmos that you have, and you can all come out of one central point. So these roll up AC power cord reels are excellent. And generally a little 25 footer will do for most gigs. You also want to have at your disposal about a hundred feet of good heavy drop cord and you need that because sometimes they just the outlet on the stage doesn't work and you need to go cross country to get power you need a good power cord most gigs it doesn't come out but if you're playing outdoor events and stuff you will use that thing so you're going to run that from the source of the power near the stage and then you're going to plug in your usual little 25 footer into that and you can make those things up yourself and uh, you know if you got a buddy that's an electrician or something you know get him to get you some real good heavy cable for that main power cord 
which won't come out of the trailer that often. But I'm telling you, those little AC power cord reels are great because they're built in circuit breaker and a four banger outlet and 25 feet of cord. And they're, they're great. And the one I have has a yellow cord. So it's nice. You know, it's less likely to get tripped over. Although I will add a little addendum to that. We always carried plenty of duct tape and any time a cord was crossing, you know, a foot traffic area that t that cord would get duct tape down. Anyway, that's item two, the old AC power cord reel. It's so much better than all that tangled mess of those orange drop cords, you know. All right, item three, and you live and learn with this, wheels are your friend. Sometimes you're going to show up for a gig and you're not going to be able to back right up to the back door. And, you know, anything on wheels is a plus. And the simplest way to put wheels on anything is a good set of hand trucks. I have a set that I have carried for years and years and years that has inflatable tires. And that's, that's handy when you're, when you're going over little bumps and door jams and things like that. You do have to keep them full of air and occasionally patch one, put an inner tube in. You know, you don't want a hand trucks, a uh, set of hand trucks that's got a flat tire on it. Uh, so you got to, you got to take care of your hand trucks. But the, the set I have ha is a normal vertical set of hand trucks, which is great for, you know, you're going to carry a, a big speaker or a big speaker with a monitor on top or anything like that. You can wheel them. Save your back. There ain't no point of killing yourself doing this stuff. This stuff's heavy. And sometimes you got to be going upstairs. So you can have one guy on the bottom kind of lifting each stair while the guy on top is pulling. You know, hand trucks will save you. And most places are handicap accessible. So if you don't mind taking the long way around, most facilities are going to have ramps. Get yourself a set of hand trucks. Now, this, the set that I have also has a set of casters that are up near the handle end. And you can flip it down and lay it on its back. And you can actually pull the handle out and stand it upright. And what you have is like a rolling cart. Now, that's how, if you don't have obstacles to get over, that's generally how I would use it. I would show up at the gig, put the handle in the upright position, and now i got a four-wheeled steerable cart and start piling stuff on and you make fewer trips. But if you do need a hand truck in the traditional manner, you can put the handles in the normal way. That set of hand trucks, if I'm running a PA, that set of hand trucks is going with me. That's item three. Get yourself some hand trucks. Four. And th this was a little thing I just bought one time on a whim. And I have used this at I I don't know how many gigs at least a thousand at least what I bought one time was a little very small set of lights stage lights and these were made by a company I think it was a company called Rapco I don't know if they're still around I think they were down in Mississippi this little set of lights was a pair of tripods, very much kind of like lightweight speaker stands. 
tripods with these stands and they would go really tall. I think they went as high as 10 feet. They were pretty, pretty tall. I still use them, by the way. I just don't have them here to look at right now. They were nine to 10 feet tall. They would get up really high. And on top of each one was a very small little box that was maybe, maybe 12 to 14 inches wide and about six by six inches. So it's a little rectangular box about the size of a loaf of bread. This would mount on top. And inside had a little door that snapped open. And inside were four light bulb sockets. Just your basic, you know, screw in a light bulb socket. And inside that were four little reflector incandescent bulbs in different colors. You had white, yellow, red, blue. And there were two of these. And each one had a cable that ran to it. And you had a little foot controller that you plug the two cables in and then plug the power cord into your, into your reel. Now, one guy down at his feet has got a little light switch. You got a master on off, and then you got four buttons across there. That's white, yellow, red, blue, whatever colors you felt like putting in there. And there was even a time that I had, I had a strobe light hooked into one of the plugged into one of them. And I had a black light bulb in like position two. I could switch to black light and then turn on the strobe light and stuff. We only did it on a couple of songs. And you could only do it effectively in a really dark environment. So when you kill the lights, it was actually dark up there. But this little set of lights was so incredibly useful because sometimes, at it, most of the time at a gig, lights aren't thought of by the by whoever hired you. And let's say you're you're playing a, a thing out by the pool and they're just putting you over here and they say, how about over there by that tree? You know, they didn't put a light up. And if they did, it would be some garish, you know, like 10,000 candle power or maybe a million candle power, like shop light. And they just set it on a, something and pointed it at you. You don't want that in your face all night. So carrying your own little little portable light set was very handy. I don't suggest that you get these big light arrays with all these cans and all these LEDs and programmable controllers and all this junk you got to set up. Uh, many years later, like in the last couple of years of Cedar Hill, our bass player just on a whim bought a new set of lights and they were humongous. Each bar was four feet long and had all this stuff. Took him 10 times as long to set it all up. And it ended up doing basically the same thing as my old set of lights did. And what was nice about that little mini light set is that, number one, they were up high enough so that they were pointing down on you. And they didn't, they didn't blind you quite as bad. And you had a little control. If you just need to be kind of background dinner music, you could just turn on the red and the blue and it'd be dimmer. They didn't actually have dimmers. It was just how many lights do you have on, you know? There have even been gigs where I, I unscrewed a couple of the bulbs so that they didn't go on just to make it a little more mellow looking, you know. It really fills in the stage and it makes you look more professional. And impression is a lot. If you show up, and these things took no space, you would just stand them right behind the, the main speakers. 
They just kind of lived in the same footprint and they stuck up a foot or two above the speakers. There were even a couple of gigs that I just set the, the, the light boxes on top of the speakers like to do that because they could fall off and conk somebody on the head. I'm always very nervous about anything that might fall on somebody. It's never happened and I don't ever want it to happen. But anyway, look or build or make a little small light kit. And a lot of times I would only use one of these. Just one of them would many times suffice. You know, you're playing somewhere and they kind of got you in a little dark corner. If you've got room for your speaker, you had room for this little, little light stick. And it was up there and it just pointed a couple lights and it just created a better ambience, ambiance. So think about digging yourself up a small, easy to run, easy to maintain little set of lights. Lights. Okay. Number five is some sort of very portable uh, store. I used to call this jokingly the Pony Express General Store. And in it were our CDs and any other promotional junk. It, business cards, CDs, uh, a little money bag. All this stuff went in a box. That was the store. And what I used, I found this thing one time at a ham fest. I was just looking around all the weird old army electronic gear that was being sold. And there was a, some sort of like frequency generator thing. It was like Korean war era, a tube type gizmo. And it was in this wooden box that was about 14 inches square and about 18 inches high. Very high quality little box with a handle on top. And it had this little door that opened on one side. And then it had this little cubby hole in the back that opened. And all these little panels and locking things. So this little wooden box, I brought it home and I gutted it. I took all that junk out of it, the, whatever that frequency generator thing was. Took it out and just stripped it down to this bare little box. So I had this little oak plywood box. And I refinished it because it was painted olive drab. So I stripped it. Gave it a good coat of varnish, made it look real pretty. And that became our CD box. And at most gigs, I could just grab a bar stool or something that was, you know, something that was around and just set that box right in the middle of the stage, facing the audience, open the front and display our CD and put a couple of business cards there. It was such a simple little rig. And at the end of the night, you just stuff the junk back in and close it and coat it, um, tote it off. Having you a nice little portable store is a good thing. Now, we also carried a card table and a tablecloth that was basically a banner with our band name across the front of it. So somebody that's handy with arts and crafts and sewing can make you something like that. And they take very little space up in the trailer. You know, just a standard folding card table. I have one. It's a weird card table. I found a card table one time that was half the size of a normal card table. It was the same width. I, I think they're usually about four feet by four feet, approximately. This was rectangular, and it was built exactly like a card table, but it was a rectangle. It was like you took the card table and sawed it in half. I liked that one a lot better because it didn't eat up as much floor space. 
it gave you two feet by four feet. That was your tabletop. So that's what I really used. And when you put that, put that cloth over it and there's your name on it, you know, this is promotion and it makes you look professional. And of course I'd set the little store box on top and lay a few CDs out and pictures and business cards, and whatever. And then in between sets, somebody would go over there and hang around, you know, and you'd sell them. So think about your marketing, you know, don't just have your CD shoved in a backpack where somebody has to ask, ask to see them. Hey, make, make some sort of little display and make it small, make it portable. Okay. Item six, the tip bucket, best invention ever for a musician. I'm one day I'm going to do a whole episode on the art of tips and how to get them and when you shouldn't and stuff like that. The, every gig doesn't require a tip bucket. If you're playing a wedding reception, you probably ought to leave the tip bucket in the car. Just make up for it by charging them an extra 200 bucks. You know what I mean? There's some gigs that's just not appropriate. You know, if you're playing, um, you're asked to play in a church, I think I'd leave the tip bucket somewhere else. Bars, beer joints, backyard shindigs, stuff like that. Bring the tip bucket and make it obvious. One time we were playing at this uh, this uh, beer joint called Motorheads in uh, McDonough, Georgia. We did four years there. And one night the uh, Corona representative was there and they were having a promotion. And it was like, get a bucket of Coronas. You know, they stuff four Coronas in this tin bucket. It was about a gallon tin pail. Said Corona across the front. And it was some deal. You know, they'd shove a few in there and some ice and... You could buy a bucket of Corona. So they were doing that that night. And at the end of the night, I was like, can I have this bucket? Sure. So I got this tin pail. So I took it home. Next morning, I spray painted it flat black. And then I got my, out my little white paint and I painted across the front tips. And I started toting that thing around. And where it typically lived was it would be hung. You know, when you set up a, a set of speaker stands, there's usually a tightening knob, you know, about halfway up the pole for tightening the upper section. That's where it lived. It would just hang on that pole. And, you know, don't forget, always throw a couple bucks in there at the start of the night and you can take it out later. You want to salt that thing. You got to put in the seed money to get it flowing. And occasionally point it out, you know. Now, over the years, I eventually added a, a different feature, a couple features to the tip bucket. And that is on the back side, I had some vinyl lettering cut, some white vinyl lettering, because white on black is the easiest to read in those low light conditions. I put the word requests on the back. So there were certain gigs. Sometimes you were playing these type of gigs where, it was cool to get requests, you know? So sometimes I would turn it around and have the word requests facing the audience. And sometimes I would just have tips facing the audience. But another thing I did, which may seem a little crass to you, but you know, when you're, when you're leaving the gig at 1130 or 2:30 in the morning or whatever, and they paid you with a check and you crank up the truck and you're ready to go. And you look at your gas gauge and it's empty and you reach in your pocket and you got four bucks. 
then the tip money is of more value. You follow my logic here? That's cash money going in there. And it when at the end of the night, you just divvy it up among all the guys. They can do what they want with it. They can stick in their pocket. They can buy some gas on the way home. They can tip their waitress. They can do whatever they want with their little share of the money. It's just a little added bonus. And it is providing the audience with that opportunity to support you. Because if you play in a beer joint or something like that, the establishment is supporting you. They're paying you. But the audience, they're supporting you just by showing up. But some of them desire to give you money. So why make it difficult for them? Make it easy. Put that tip bucket out there. And to make sure that people saw it, I uh, probably about 10 or 12 years ago, I bought a little blinking red LED bicycle safety light, a little clip-on light. And it had a button on it. It had a couple of AA batteries in it. And you click it once, and it would just come on. It was just a red, like four little red LEDs hanging on the side of that bucket. And if you clicked it again, it would flash slowly. And if you clicked it again, it would flash fast. So I would start out with it just on. And if at the end of the first set, I'd peek in there and the bucket's looking a little weak, I would put it on the low-speed flash, and it would just blink, blink, just Subtly reminding people, hey, you know, you got to pay the fiddler. And then if it, you know, if it got serious, I would punch it to high beam mode and let it just. But anyway, the way it hung on that tip bucket, it actually pointed down just slightly because I can't stand to look directly into an LED because they're so bright. I don't want to annoy the audience, but that little angled side of the bucket, it would actually be pointed down at the toward the knees of the first row. But they could see it. You could see it all over the place. And uh, it may seem a little crass, but it people look towards a blinking light, you know. And then they read tips and it, it you know, puts implants that suggestion in their mind. And, hey, at the end of the night, there's 75 bucks in there. Did that make that gig a little more worthwhile? I'm telling you, it does. Helps pay for when you want to go out and buy a set of hand trucks or something. Anyway. You know, try to think, think like P.T. Barnum here a little bit. This is entertainment and you deserve to be paid. You also, they also deserve to get a good show. So I'm not saying it's a one way street. Don't be afraid of the tip bucket. All right. Number seven. And this is something that it went through various, um, iterations or modifications or methodologies over the years, but that is a sign. Okay, so you're the band, we were Cedar Hill. And one day I'm going to do that episode talking about the confusion of two bluegrass bands out there. I mentioned it before with the same name, but I'm going to go through that whole history at some point here. But anyway, we were Cedar Hill. And we wanted people to know we were Cedar Hill. You know, I don't want people saying, I saw this band last night. I saw, oh, this bluegrass band. You know, I want him to say, I saw this band Cedar Hill or I saw Pony Express. You got to implant the name in them into their mind. Well, the best way to do that is a sign or a banner. Now, we started out years ago, back in 1983, Cedar Hill had a wooden sign. 
It was three pieces of plywood that were two feet square, like quarter inch plywood, might have been half inch, three eighths, probably three eighths plywood. Two by two, two by two, two by two with hinges, had hinges. So it folded out into a six by two horizontal panel. Section one and section three had a handle on it, a sewn on cloth handle. I think it was an old Boy Scout belt <laughs> that was screwed onto it so that you had handles. This thing folded out and was painted and then had our name, Cedar Hill, across it in big letters. And so when we would set up the PA, we would have our floor monitors out in the front. And the last step was to unfold the sign and lean it against the floor monitor. So it was there. And it also made a nice hiding spot if you needed to have a place for all the excess wire coils and things like that. It, they would be hidden behind that fold-out plywood panel. Also, that uh, sign had a carrying bag. We had uh, Fred, our bass player, sewed up a bag out of denim uh, to store this thing in so it wouldn't get beat up too bad. So you folded it up at the end of the night and slipped it in its bag and it got hauled off with all the rest of the junk. I have so many pictures of Cedar Hill that there's no question who we are because all you got to do is look in the picture and it says Cedar Hill. Now, later on, we realized that a lot of pictures, people are looking at your face when they take your picture and you just see the top of that sign. You wouldn't see the whole thing unless they were back up, backed up pretty good ways. So we eventually added a banner, a cloth banner, which was probably, I don't know, it's probably about six, six feet wide, seven feet wide, maybe by four feet tall. Just a cloth, you know, a big piece of cloth. And Fred, again, our, our seamstress in the band, sewed this using contrasting colors of felt and stuff and had this big banner that said Cedar Hill across it. And we would hang that thing behind us on the back wall. And some gigs you were able to do that and some you weren't. We carried around thumbtacks and, you know, little stuff like that to be able to put these up. But if we could put up the banner, we did. And if we couldn't, we couldn't. And by the way, that was the same banner that would be used as a table cover for the CD table. It was the same banner. Same thing. And if we didn't have a CD table, we tried to hang it on the stage. So put your name on there. Every time somebody takes a picture of you, don't make people guess who you are. Now, another thing that you can do is a mic stand sign. Much like if you look at any picture of somebody posing for a picture at the Grand Ole Opry, there on the mic stand, it's called a microphone flag. And you'll see reporters, like a reporter shoves a microphone in your face and it's got that little box right there near the head that has their call letters or station, you know, Channel 11 or ABC or something on this little cube. Well, that's a microphone flag. You can also put them on stationary stands. You could build yourself a little, um, little box out of plywood and paint it up real nice with your, your band name on it or your website address or something. And whoever that lead singer is right in the middle, when you're setting up the mic stands, just slide that baby down on the stand 
and then put your mic on. You know, you could put you something like that, put you signs on the front of your stands. You don't want to get carried away with this where it looks ridiculous. But that's that's kind of a cool thing. And it's it's a historically it was something that you see in a lot of old historic pictures and things like that. The radio stations were promoting themselves. You know, if it was Grand Ole Opry, it'd say Grand Ole Opry down the mic stand. Well, if you're Pony Express, put Pony Express down at mic stand. You could probably make this out of foam core board and go down to some little sign shop and have you cut some vinyl letters and it'd be really lightweight and port portable. Think about that. Don't let people be taking pictures of you and then not know who you are. Okay? So think about a sign or a banner. Next thing. This started out as a Christmas gift idea. I used to buy all the guys in the band a Christmas present. We always exchange gifts at the last practice before Christmas. And so you're always thinking, well, what do I get them this year? And sometimes I would go to the beer store and I would buy six different six packs of beer. And then I would shuffle them so that you'd get a six pack with six different weirdo beers that you've never had before. Sometimes I'd do things like that. Sometimes I'd be, you know, going to the musician's friend catalog and, you know, buying everybody uh, kazoos and slide whistles or capos or whatever. I just pick weird stuff out or something I knew they, they could use. One year, I really hit the jackpot. I bought these little clamp-on drink holders, and they're just designed to hold a cup or a bottle or something. It's a metal drink holder that clamps onto your microphone stand. These things are great. And I'm not saying you should be at every gig, you know, with a bottle of beer on your stand. But the, these things, I gave all, all five guys. All five guys got one, including me. I got myself one, too. And so every stand, when we set up, clamp on those drink holders. Because at some point, I don't care if they're drinking water. And I'm talking about mostly playing beer joints and bar gigs and that kind of thing. You wouldn't go to a festival, you know, you're not going to play Merle Fest and walk out and clamp your drink holder on and stick a fifth of liquor in it. You know, that's not cool. So, but these, these were so handy because if you're going to play a four hour, you know, four sets, three sets, any of these kind of dives and beer joints and places like that where you're there for the night, there's going to be some consumption of liquid beverages. I don't care what kind. And they're going to get spilled and knocked over. You don't want people putting their drinks on top of the PA, you know, or on top of the bass player's amplifier. Something's going to get dumped over, spilled into the monitors. These things prevented spills. And they also kept, you know, bottles of water handy, you know. And it also made a little mini shelf that I saw a buddy do this many times. He'd lay his capo on there. It was like a little little shelf. It's just a little, you know, four inch diameter circle with a clamp on it. And then this little support ring above it. And you'd have a couple picks laying in there, you know, or somebody comes up and hands you a business card. You got this little place you can stick it. They're so handy. So think about, you know, maybe this Christmas buying a uh, handful of these little clamp on drink holders. Very cool thing. And they are very, very useful. 
All right. Number nine is hunks of carpet. And when I joined Cedar Hill back in 83, we used to carry these long strips of carpet. And it was probably, I don't know where they got the carpet and they just cut it up. You know, it was like two feet by six feet. And we had three or four of them that were rolled up. And those would be rolled out on the stage and the mic stand set on the carpet. And that prevents a lot of low frequency rumble that can come through a, a vibrating stage or foot padding and things like that. It kind of helps isolate the mic stands from the floor. But they're also more comfortable to stand on many times. So the solution I ended up with, and I still cart them around, and even if I go to just play a fill-in gig on the bass, I still carry one of these. I found some circular carpets one time. I think my wife actually bought them and used to have them. They looked like big polka dots that went down our hallway. And at some point, she got kind of tired of them and got this long runner-type carpet. And I grabbed those. She had five of them. They had edging sewn on around. They're very nice, neat little little carpets and, you know, pretty pretty deep pile. Not like shag carpet, but they're really comfortable to stand on. Well, five of those was perfect. If you were going to stand there, you had enough room to be standing on carpet, which helped prevent those foot padding sounds, and there was enough room for the mic stand to stand on the front of it. It was just the perfect spot. So I carry those around. I still carry them uh, when I go play bass gigs. Sometimes if I'm on a kind of a slick floor and my little rubber end pin uh, crutch tip thing is not grabbing too good and I'm not feeling like it's real stable, you throw down that carpet and plant that end pin on that carpet and then I throw down one for me to stand on, I'm a happy camper. And they're flat, they're easy to pack, and they, you know, uh, if you get the right colors, don't, I wouldn't suggest you use white, you know, get you like a very dark green or something kind of neutral. And uh, they'll just make your life more comfortable when you're standing there for four hours. You know, it's less tiring to be standing on that carpet. So think about some little carpets for comfort and for uh, low frequency isolation of the mic stands and your feet. All right, item 10, and I've mentioned it several times throughout this list, I've made reference to the trailer. And the trailer was probably the best investment I ever made in terms of this equipment that's used for gigging. Because I've done plenty of gigs where things were piled in the back of a pickup truck. My pickup truck with a little camper cover over the back. I have used a van. I had an old Ford, I don't know what that, the Aerostar van that was, it basically was a trailer with an engine, you know, that I could drive to gigs. Eventually, I ended up with a little small four by six utility trailer. And that became the storage unit for all the gear. And you, you get it organized. And it's protected from the weather. And when you show up at a gig, you pull up and you swing the door open. And everything is exactly where you put it last time. It just made life so much easier than this piling in the back of a truck or in the back of a SUV. Or just, it's just 
always chaos, but with a trailer, you can neaten up what you do. There are some security issues with dealing with a trailer. Somebody could steal your trailer and everything in it. So, you know, you need to consider that. During the eight-year stint that Pony Express was playing a weekly gig, and that was the primary use I was using at that time for the trailer full of the PA equipment, I had a pretty elaborate security setup because of the neighborhood I lived in and so on. It was involved three locks and two cables and a sunk-in-the-ground iron post at home that the thing was chained to. So when I, when I backed in the driveway at night and dropped the trailer, I connected the frame of the trailer to a, a basically a piece of iron railroad track that was sunk in concrete. It got chained to that. Now I might go to bed, uh, you know, at that point, but in the morning I would probably put a tongue lock on it. And I used to put a cable lock through one of the wheels around the axle just to make it even more difficult. Plus a padlock on the back. I had a lot of stuff going on. I also had a video camera on, on the house pointed at the trailer. So if they stole it, at least I might get a picture of them, you know, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing that I suggest is that is to not put your band name on the trailer. Don't do it. You're just asking for it. You know, you put, you know, something involving music performer or whatever, then, you know, you're just saying, Hey, this thing might be full of music PA gear and speakers that I can take to a pawn shop, you know? The, the old Cedar Hill trailer, they, Cedar Hill also had a trailer. It was a little bit bigger than mine. And Bob had bought it off of a, like a handyman. He was a, he was like a fencing contractor. He'd put up wooden fencing is was his thing. And, and on the back, it just had a, had a painting of a wooden fence. And I think it might've had his name on it, like so-and-so fence. And that's not the kind of thing, you know, that's, as attractive to a thief. What's he going to get a trailer full of, you know, cedar boards and a, an old handsaw and a couple of hammers, you know, it's not as attractive. Um, so just think about that. I, I don't think I would plaster my name all over my trailer unless it was some sort of magnetic or removable signs that, you know, you could just use during the gig maybe, but there's no sense advertising it. Of course, you also, if you have a garage, you can always, you know, park your trailer in the garage and that adds another layer of security. But I love using trailers. It's so much easier, especially at home when you're, when you're home, when you're hauling stuff in the truck and, and a van, when you get home, you ain't done. You still got to unload all that junk and put it in the shed or put it in the garage, or put it in the basement. It's just an ordeal. And it's all eliminated by having a nice little trailer and spend a little bit of time making sure you've got it well secured. So that's it. That's the 10 gadgets and gizmos and ideas for you local working band types who are running your own sound and lights. And hopefully it was interesting for any of the beginners in the audience. Um, if nothing else, you know, you can always, as a Christmas gift to your favorite band, you know, make them a tip bucket or something if they don't have one or buy them some of those drink holders or give them some of those carpet square samples that your brother stole from Home Depot or whatever. 
It just give you an idea of some of the back story behind what working bands are really out there doing. And, even, you know, if you're a beginner, some of this stuff could apply if you're running a little jam session, too. If you run a little monthly jam session or a semi-public jam session where there's, you know, maybe just a set of lights would would help the situation. Or a, or a sign, you know, like if you've got a website for your bluegrass organization. Like, if this is a monthly jam for the XYZ Bluegrass Club of Tucson, whatever... Or in Atlanta, it was the Southeastern Bluegrass Association. Stick you up a banner, you know, because you don't want people coming in that bar just seeing a bunch of people picking and going, huh, well, that's pretty cool. Wonder what that what what that's all about. Signs and banners will help you promote what you're doing. So think about all that stuff. Cable reel, it's one, two, those AC power cord reels, hand trucks. The worst hand trucks is better than no hand trucks. A little small lighting system. Smaller the better, probably. Fix up your CD table, your store, your little marketing thing, and make it really portable and easy to deal with. Six, a tip bucket, and maybe even put the crass uh, lighting, <laughs> the psychological, the Pavlov's dog cue. I mean, there's probably people like salivating when I turn the light on. What I'm hoping they'll do is throw money in that bucket. Seven, the sign and the banner. Put, put your name out there. At least it shows up in all those pictures on, on Facebook. Drink holders, very handy little gadget. Carpet, hunks of carpet. And consider a trailer. So anyway, that that's uh, enough about this for this week. I'm getting close to an hour. I can't believe that I'm getting close to the 100th episode. I don't remember what which one this is, but counting the two bonus episodes, I think this might be 98 or so getting very close to a hundred. This is getting insane folks. I, I sometimes I get up my like I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And then something always comes to me and generally it's something new. Anyway, I hope you're enjoying this. You know, I kind of go back and forth between things for bands and things for beginners and things for whatever. I'm just covering it all. Um, if, so if you like what I'm doing, as I've said many times before, go to BradleyLaird.com and get your little digital wallet out and buy something, you know, and that'll help keep this thing going. And if you don't have anything like that, you don't have any money, and you're broke, you know, I get that. Uh, you can at least tell your friends, you know, tell your friends, tell them about the podcast, you know, don't be selfish with it, you know. Spread it around, and I appreciate that a whole lot. So y'all take care, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.